Welcome to the Triple D Podcast, Donuts, Disability, and Discourse, where host Michael Liner talks to the best in the business about community, impact, business, and donuts. Here's your host, Michael Liner. Welcome back. Hello. This is another uh, episode of the Triple D Podcast, Disability, Donuts, and Discourse. I've got an excellent guest this week, Dr. Todd Hockman. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for thank you for coming and hanging out with me today. Here. My pleasure. We're we're right in our, our neck of the woods here at uh, Davis Bakery on Chagrin Boulevard, and and are we in Beechwood or are we in Woodmere? This Woodmere. Is this is Woodmere. Yeah. You wait. Where did you grow up? You grew up pretty close to here, right behind you? here, Orange. Yep. Yeah. We used to cut through these streets, get down here. This has been here forever, man. So you used to run here barefoot when you were a kid. <laughs> exactly. To the bakery. Was was Davis Bakery here when you were Davis a kid? Davis Bakery. I know they had a ton of for, locations. It's it's been here forever. Yeah. Okay, since the early eighties, at yeah. least. So, but I never remember it being as busy as it has been lately. Like the line outside is crazy. Food's great, man. The food is great. The food is great. Well, I'm excited to have you on here because uh, you know, it's We've had a lot of lawyers on here. We've had, I think we maybe have had a doctor too, but um, you're someone who I like talking to because of just how natural the conversation always is with you. Um, and you're, you're you. a real genuine dude like me. Tell us your niche. What type of medicine do you practice? So my practice is I was a board certified, went to residency for internal medicine and pediatrics. And in the training, uh, started to do some occupational medicine and really found it to be an, a very interesting area. Um, and so I started to take a, a take to it due to the patients, the, the, the issues you were dealing with, the, the, the pain, the, the, the pain, distress that you could help people with. And it just is something that has evolved into a practice over the past 20 years now. Yeah. Did you always want to be a doctor? Yes, in a way. My, yeah, of course, my Jewish mother always wanted me to be a doctor. But, um, you know, honestly. I met your it, Jewish mother. Did you? Yeah, at uh, oh, our family right. day. That's right. <laughs> that's right. She's one of a kind. She's the best. <laughs> in she, case she, she's watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, you know, it, honestly, it was an area of interest. When I was younger, I, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer when I was literally right before I was born. So we spent. First nine years of my life in and out of Mount Sinai Hospital. Um, and so that, that was really probably, you know, kind of what laid the, the groundwork. And then my grandfather, my junior, came back from California and was in hospice care in our house. And so it was an area of an interest. And it's something that really, you know, the whole medical side of it took my heart. And, you know, it just kind of went down that path. And yeah. And you told us like the, the background that you have in medicine. So what do you like, tell us about your practice now. What do you focus on? So I have two practices. I have one on the east side of Cleveland and right here down the corner in Beachwood. And the other is uh, on the west side. My practice are primarily occupational medicine practices. So a focus in work related injuries. And then I also deal with other medical legal issues that come up as well. Okay. So you're, you're working with a lot of clients who are like going through the Bureau of Workers Compensation system and yes. Yes. What's that like? I mean, because people come to you a different way than they go to a lot of other doctors. They're always, there's always an injury. They're hurt. You know, the medicine is the easy part of it. Yeah. And there's a lot of physicians in the area that just don't want to get involved with it because there's layers and layers of bureaucracy and 
struggles to get the patients the care they need uh, to try to get them, you know, their benefits set up in place. It's it's never without obstacle. So it's a it's really navigating, trying to navigate a system to figure out how you can get that injured individual the care they need in a timely manner and get them back to work as soon as possible. And I mean, when when you talk about the layers of bureaucracy, what does that mean? So in the workers' compensation system, um, it is you have the injured worker, yeah. and that's who we are treating. Um, that you're dealing with a managed care organization or insurance company that is, there's many of them in the state of Ohio. They're usually picked by the employer. So you're dealing with them. There's then another layer where you're dealing with the Bureau of Workers' Compensation. Everything that needs to get approved as far as a treatment, a condition, has to go through multiple layers. It has to go clear the Bureau system. If it doesn't clear the Bureau system, there's hearings on that. If it clears that, then the employer has the opportunity to potentially, you know, disagree with the decisions and appeal. So there's a lot of delay, um, which really leads to a lot of patient frustration, and it leads to a lot of physician frustration. It's one, one of the reasons I chose this or, or decided to you know, partake is a lot of us don't want to do it. Do you see a circumstance? I mean, you, you mentioned the frustration that they feel with the delay, but doesn't that also oftentimes cause their injuries to get worse while they should be getting the care that they need? They're fighting over who should be paying for it, and the person's just suffering that whole time. Yes. Yeah. The yes is the answer. I mean, you know, any... Anytime you have an, a, definitely a surgical injury, you know, the, the, usually the time is ticking in most cases. And the longer you have to wait, the, the more pain and suffering you go through while you're waiting. And then the, the less likely you're going to have a good outcome at the time of surgery and the longer the recovery. So it's interesting because there's like so many parallels when we talk about this that I think between, you know, you and uh, how... You have to like wait to do the procedures that you know that your client needs and what we're doing in my office where, you know, we'll put together a client's disability application. We'll make sure that we have, you know, the medical records together, but then we're just stuck waiting for somebody else to do what they're supposed to be doing, but we become the ire of the clients. How come my case is taking so long? Why was I denied? And do you feel that way? I mean, do you get patients coming to you like... You know, I think most of them are very appreciative. You know, yeah. I think I think we Can have we just developed switch jobs. <laughs> <laughs> we we have developed a system in the office that yes, there are some frustrations. Obviously, you know, we need to get through our hurdles as a staff and get to the people we need to get to. But generally, we are focused on getting results, and yeah. you know, that's our that that's our big thing. So it, it's it's frustrating, but yet. I think the patients, when you're, it's, it's interesting. If you have high blood pressure and you come to me and I give you a medicine that makes you go to the bathroom every, you know, five minutes, but you get 10 years at the end of your life, you, every time you go to the bathroom, you're not saying, thanks, doc. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of like, you know, same with diabetes. If we tell you, hey, don't eat sugar, you know, do exercise, things we don't necessarily want to hear as people. Yeah, yeah. So in doing what I do, when you're dealing with people that are in pain, and you can help fix that pain and help that pain get better and you're helping them to get through a financial situation that's you know stressful but you're working on their behalf to try to get them to that point i think there's a real appreciation and um you know and some, sometimes more immediate i mean if you can make someone's pain go down significantly while they're waiting for this i mean it's an immediate 
Do people come to you most, I mean, is pain the common denominator among what you're treating or is it a whole constellation of symptoms? It's a whole constellation. I mean, you know, I mean, pain is usually the, you know, associated with the injury and the setting event. Obviously, pain levels wane. Some people develop chronic pain syndrome. Some people's pain, you know, goes down. Then there's also a whole level of psychological distress, you know, yeah. when they're going through these type of situations. You know, I mean, the fact that they can't go do what they were doing every every day. They can't go to work. They can't, you know, get the mail. They can't go to the growth. You know, there's there's a psychological component to to many of these patients. Yeah. How did you get into uh, this particular type of medicine? You said that you know you. You know, I did a month. I did a month with you know during my residency, and it was just somewhere that you know I just took a liking to. You know, I saw a need. I saw, I saw patients that really needed help. And and you know, the more you start to do it, the you know the 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 more you start to understand the systems yeah. that are in place and how to help people navigate through that system. I think you start to see results. And you, when you start to see results, and you start to see patient results, it, it really drives you to continue to try to be better. And like in Northeast Ohio, and I can't pretend that I know like every doctor that's out there, but your name is floated as, you know, the best at what you do in terms of, you know, occupational medicine. What were the steps to get to that point? I mean, did, did because it's just kind of a niche area that people don't want, did it kind of happen for you overnight or was it a slow progression? I, nothing happens overnight, you know, and I think like everything, it's, it's hard work, right? It's, it's figuring out what you need to do. I mean, it, when I started, it was, it was, you know, I was green. I was trying to figure out, you know, which, I mean, in, in my world, there's a form for everything. There's Medco 14s, there's C84s, there's Medco 31, C9, C11. I mean, there's just so many different All forms. the numbers and letters. Yeah. <laughs> they put them all together. You got them all. <laughs> and how to navigate through those and how to get, you know, you know, when you start to understand a situation and you work through it, you start to understand, you start the next time that presents itself, you yeah. start, and, and it's also never being satisfied, right? Always understand that, listen, my interest is my patient, and my interest is getting the patient what they need and doing what I need to do and pushing for that. Did you open your own practice right away, or were you, like, working with another I, doctor I worked with a, I worked with another doctor for a little bit, and, you know, 2000, January 2005 just said, you know what, it's time to go. Let's see how this works, and you know, I had a general understanding. I didn't had no idea how it would work or where it would end up, but you know, we just went into it and figured it out. How long were you working with that other doctor for? Less than a year. Less oh, than so- like, I mean, it was pretty. You know, I started there and then, and I still did a little bit of work in the office, but it was pretty much. You know, I, I was ready to go. I wanted to be on my own. So. And, you know, I know what my work life is like now, which at this point, just with the growth that's happened in our practice, I spend way more of my time managing, you know, the people, managing the practice than I actually am being a lawyer. In the medical world, how does that translate? I mean, do you feel like you have to spend a lot of your time being like the CEO of a business as opposed to being a doctor? Or how does that break down for you? You know, I enjoy being the doctor. I think, yeah. you know, from a family perspective, it would be nice to put other people in place and do the managing and, and be able to get home earlier and have more family dinners and be at more kids' events. But I enjoy being in that room 
with that patient. You know, I, I feel that if I can, I feel seeing them, understanding the situation, looking at what's going on, it really helps me get them from point A to point D, point B. So I spend, in my, my practice, I spend pretty much from 7.30 in the morning in the office till probably 7.38 Monday through Thursday, and then that's strictly seeing patients. I mean, there's no lunch. It's just patients, and at the end of the day, it's messages, getting through the paperwork, dealing with all the other issues that come up in the office, as you're aware, you know, other people's issues, and um, then trying to fit everything in and around it. I'm remembering you because you just mentioned how like there's no lunch, and I know that you you kind of have a strange diet, which is you don't eat. <laughs> well, I I you I told me about those inter- blue zones. Yeah, Did well, you see yeah, that yeah, documentary yeah, on Netflix? I have not seen the the documentary, but I have you know done my research and read yeah. about it. Did you know that they just came out with a whole documentary no, on blue? I'm not it's surprised. like a docu series. It's one of the top things on Netflix right now about it. it. It's ingenious. I mean, the guy who did it was I think, I think it was Dan Butner, if I'm correct. Okay. It was just a, simply a journalist who went out in the world and identified five civilizations, I believe, that lived the longest, and then retrospectively analyzed them to see what they have in common, and created the blues on lifestyle. And you know, it's it's you know thousands of years of data, if you will. What is it? Tell, for people that don't know, what is the Blue Zone Lifestyle? It, it just, the, the Blue Zone Lifestyle, it talks about, again, you, it, there's diet. For one, in diet, it, the Blue Zone diet, no meat. No meat at all. Fish is a plus or minus. Um, it's really a lot of your proteins, beans. It's a very Mediterranean-based you know, based yeah. approach. Uh, exercise. It doesn't have to be physical exercise. It's people walking to work, doing their you know, yard work, just staying active. Uh, interesting, moderate al- amounts of alcohol is, was shown to be a positive in most of the civilizations. Um, you know, close community work. Just things that, you know, I guess in retrospect are kind of common sense yeah. that we know. But so it's 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 an interesting thing. Do you teach your patients any of this? or I mean, it's a little bit different than what people are coming to you for. But. We talk about it when the time yeah. presents. But it's, you know, there are so many issues to be had in the visit, you know, about what we're doing, you know, how we got to get, you know, where we are in the process. Usually when they're in the office, there, there are two, three, four, five issues of sometimes contention, you know, sometimes you're just trying to figure out how are we going to get from point A to point B, whose records do we need? You know, what do we, you know, what forms do we need that we don't have the time to go sure. through that. But, but, but if it comes, you know, when people are working on weight reduction and things of that sort, we do bring it up and, so I want to go back to like you, you were talking about the bureaucracy in the system and how it creates frustration. If you were to really try and think and analyze like where, where are the problems, what would you like to see done different that would just help patients get better quicker? What would it be? You know, the answer is simple. I don't know how it's done. It's, it's treat them. Yeah. Treat them and get them better and get them on their way. I mean, like you said, you know, if you, you just look at it with a rotator cuff tear, right? With a rotator cuff tear, you know, from the day you have that tear, if it's a full thickness tear and surgery is needed, it's needed, right? So yeah. day one, you need it. Day, you know, 10, you need it, you know, and if you're in our world living with this, nobody wants to sit around and wait to begin the recover, the real recovery process, you know? Month six and you're still waiting for the surgery, you know, that's a problem because now you're going to operate on a condition that 
is going to take, may not get back to the same level and the recovery process is going to take longer. So it's just speeding up yeah. that care. In like a non-emergent, non-life-threatening type situation, is that like a common timeline where, you know, if, if you or I were to go out and, you know, throw some baseballs with our sons and tear our shoulder we're getting operated on pretty quick. Once we've made that first appointment, gotten diagnosed, our insurance isn't probably going to fight that. How long, I mean, you know medicine, but I mean, maybe in a month we're getting things taken care of. Hopefully sooner. Yeah. Yeah, Hopefully it really depends on access. I mean, you know, I broke my collarbone to playing Thanksgiving football with the kids. First, first, you know, Kirky ball in the neighborhood. Yeah. A bunch of six and eight year olds beat me up. But, um, yeah, and it I, tells me a know, lot about yeah, you. Yeah, there you go, there you go. But uh, I had surgery two days later. You know, thankfully I had the ability to get to the people right. I needed to get to. But you know, I and, and I can't imagine had I had to wait another, you know, three months, you know, to start that whole recovery process. I mean, that that, that it, it and that was a real for me a real a reality check for what these guys are going through. So has that changed how you approach your job every day at all? Or does it just make you more motivated to help? I don't think it's changed anything because I've always wanted, had that motivation. always tried to push, you know, to, to move this forward as quickly as we can. I think it really made me understand the psychological perspective when you don't get it. And how that can really affect people, you know, and really, and really how pain affects people, right? I mean, you know, nobody can understand in your world, you know, dealing with disability, you know, you know, nobody can understand how a foot can prevent you from doing a lot of things. But when, until that, you live in that pain and that pain takes over your world, you know, you you really, it's, we forget. Thankfully, thankfully, the, the, but when, so going through that experience really had me an appreciation for what these guys are going for through, it's, you know, just thinking about, um, and I talk about it a lot in, in different forms, but you know, I, I get cluster headaches and, um, they don't come very often. They come usually every three years. Uh, but the first time I ever went through a cluster period was the week after I started my own firm. And I remember needing to like be picked up in the middle of the worst part of Cleveland because I literally thought I was having like a brain aneurysm or something. I thought I was about to die. Um, But if I didn't happen to be self-employed and in a circumstance where thankfully the treatment that they give for it, it takes a while, but it works, I would have had to have closed down my practice. If I was employed by somebody else, I would have been fired because of how unreliable I would have been for a period of time. And that's like the reality of what it is for my clients, for so many of your patients is they're just like hanging by a thread, trying to get this help that they need that they can't get. And it it definitely changes my approach every day. It's frustrating. It's sad. You know, I mean, I think it, 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 like I said, that's part of why do what I do? And I think, you know, when you meet yeah. real people that are there and really need that help, and that's what I'm talking about, the diabetes and the high blood pressure, yeah. those aren't emergent things. I mean, they're emerging, don't get me wrong, but you don't see those effects right away, usually unless they're, you know, in a hypertensive urgency or their blood sugars are crazy out of control. But when you see people that come in that can't work, yeah. don't have a paycheck, can't get the treatment they need, I mean, they are, they're at the end of a plank. 
you know, and you're trying to help, you know, put a bridge under them and try to get them to walk across and hopefully get back to where they're, so it's, I mean, it really does get. Are there any like negative stigmas that you feel like you face in the type of medicine that you practice? Of course. I mean, it's, it's a controversial era of medicine, right? I mean, it's, you know, like you said, you have a rotator cuff tear, you go, you get the MRI, you get the surgery, you go, you, you finish, you do what you do, you know? Yeah. In this world, you know, honestly, there are, like I said, there's, you're dealing with an injured worker who has a managed care organization, who has a employer, um, who has, you know, then the BWC, and then, you know, there are insurance premiums, you know, that, that are affected based on, you know, injuries and whether, you know, people, how long they're off work and things of that sort. So, yeah, it gets very, very contentious. And so, yes, I mean, you know, and I just... I stay in the room, I stay focused on the patient, doing what's best for them, and, and know that I go home to my family and do what's best for them, and, you know, try not to worry about the rest of it. How do you find kind of a balance? I mean, you, you talked about your work life, which is demanding as can be, but you have two kids who are in the same grades as my two kids. What's that like for you? You know what? It, it, it's why you do what you do every day, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not just, you know, helping the patient is, but we also go to work for, for a job. And you know what? I, I, I go to work and I enjoy what I do, but I live to come home, you know, and see them and be with them. And, you know, it's, I'm not there much on weekdays, but, you know, from, from Thursday night, Friday morning till the day I, you know, till, till Monday morning, I try to be there try to be there, you know, for them in the morning to get them off to school and, and you know, do as much as you can. But do they ask you about your job? Um, no, I mean, you know, and part of it is probably because I'm doing it there too. Like, it's not as if I am, you know, work follows you, you know, yeah. this isn't, patients may not follow you, but as I alluded to, there's tons of paperwork, of paperwork, you know. And, and, and then you're dealing with, it's not just, you know, it's, it's all the paperwork within the workers' comp system, but then, you know, a lot of patients that end up having severe injuries end up on disability, and then there's the disability forms that need to be completed for patients. You know, there's returning phone calls, there's, yeah. there's reports, there's, there's just a whole, that, that, that stuff comes home. So, like, Monday through Thursday, I'm there with the patient, dealing with the patient, but then there's all the other stuff that needs to get. So, usually, when I'm at home... I'm surrounded by the kids and paperwork and, and yeah. trying to balance between them. When you ask your kids what they want to be when they grow up, do they ever say they want to be a doctor? No. You know, right now they're just feeling out like, yeah. I don't think, you know, they're busy playing, busy having yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, well, it's always fun chatting with you. I'm so glad that you gave up some of your time. I know you're busy to come and hang out with us, but we end every episode with a tasting. Typically we're, in the presence of a donut, but here at Davis Bakery, a Jewish bakery, uh, I thought we'd go with a more traditional pecan roll, <laughs> something that would appear at Rosh Hashanah at my house from time to time. So I know this might be outside of your blue yeah, zone, but will you have a little bit of a nosh with me and just uh, tell us what you think? Certainly. Here we go. I'm going to cut us each a little piece. You can grab at that. We'll do a cheers. Oh, he's manicuring this. He knows he, he can only afford to eat one bite today. Here we go. That's good. Very good. Highly recommended. Yeah. It doesn't have nuts, does it? 
Oh, <laughs> cut the tape. <laughs> cut the tape. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Dr. man. Hawkins. Appreciate it. My hands any, are all sticky. Any time, yeah. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Triple D Podcast. Donuts, disability, and discourse. Rate, subscribe, and tune in next week for more discourse and donuts.